Hey, you're listening to the Bramley Baptist Church podcast. We're glad you're joining us to listen to this week's message. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to strengthen your walk with God, we believe that God will speak to you today. Let's get into the word together. Well, there's an old quote that says, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. In short, uh, what it says is we don't become who we are by accident or by overnight, uh, but rather we are, who we are is shaped and developed by the everyday choices that we make. I remember when I was, uh, I remember there was one day, probably about 12 years ago, uh, we were over at a friend's house and they had a, a scale in their bathroom. And it had been some years since I stepped on that scale. And so uh, I decided to do it one day and I was shocked to find out that I weighed 315 pounds. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked, but, but here's what I realized is I didn't get there by accident. I didn't get there with one big decision that I had made, but rather what had got me there were small, everyday decisions and lifestyle choices that I had made. And I realized that it would be the same way. It would be those small, everyday decisions and lifestyle choices that would help me get in healthier shape. Our character, our our life is not defined by monumental decisions that we make, but our character, who we are, is formed by small decisions we make every day. One step, one decision at a time. And I think that's what Paul is is really driving home for us as we look at uh, Galatians 5 this morning, right? I I think he's he's telling us about our our growth in the spirit, our growth in in this Christian life is, is much the same, that we don't wake up one day to find ourselves as mature followers of Jesus by accident, or rather we grow and we mature in our Christian walk in the small, everyday decisions and choices that we make to serve Christ instead of ourselves. The way that Paul puts it in our passage is simple. He calls us to walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, he'll tell us, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The question, of course, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to live life in the spirit. And Paul gives us this image this morning that life lived in the spirit, it's, it's a walk. A walk lived one step at a time, one choice, one decision, one step at a time. We live life in the spirit one step at a time. Let, let's uh, pray. Uh, let's uh, look at our passage this morning in uh, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if you uh, don't have your Bibles open, I think it's so important for you to see God's word for yourselves as we go through this. And so open up your devices or your Bibles. Uh, let's look at Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence to God's word. I'm going to read for us verses uh, 16 to 26, uh, but we'll actually be looking at uh, 13 to 26. 
Galatians chapter 5, reading from the English Standard Version. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Uh, you may be seated. And by now I'm hoping that we know the, the controversy that's been going on in this church. The, de de the debate between salvation by works or salvation by grace alone through faith alone. The question we've been wrestling with through all of Galatians is this. Is salvation, is forgiveness something that is merited to us based upon our efforts and faithfulness and obedience? Or is it as Paul has so powerfully and convincingly argued for that salvation is by grace through faith alone? That is that, that grace is available it is available to, to sinful, fallen, flawed human people like you and me. We can be forgiven and restored to God and live and walk in a right relationship with him by faith and only by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation is by God's grace through faith. And I hope, I hope we've got that at least so far. But the inevitable question we would have to wrestle with is this. Well, then what about obedience? What about holiness? If it's all by grace that I am saved and, and God is glorified by showing me that grace, if it's true that I can't outsin the grace of God, then, then does that mean that I can continue to live in sin so that God can show me more grace? I mean, if he loves to show grace, why not give him something to show grace for? Like, if it's all by grace and not of works, if it's not about obedience, then can I just live any old way I want? Can I just continue in my life of sin and immorality and just believe that God has forgiven me? That's a very real question. It's a question that Paul has been posed many times as he's traveled and shared the gospel, so much so that he anticipates it and he answers it in many points in his writings in the New Testament. 
It's a question that Paul is wrestling with in the back half of this chapter 5 of Galatians. Uh, well, we see it by the, the hypothetical, uh, he, we see it by the, the, the statement he makes in, in verse 13 there. Right? Look at what he says. He says, for freedom, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. All this talk about grace and freedom, Paul. Well, does that mean I can just live any style, lifestyle I want? That I can live in drunkenness and sexual immorality? That I can be filled with anger and hatred? That I can be driven by greed and materialism and still serve the Lord? Is that what freedom is? After all, it's grace. So, I mean, God is going to forgive me anyways. But there's a key difference maker in your life now. A difference maker who wasn't there before. Now that you have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you now have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. He is the, the very presence of Christ who lives in you and through you. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, there begins to be a, a change, a transformation that happens. And there's key characteristics that the Holy Spirit then begins to develop within us. And one of them is that you no longer use your freedom to indulge in your fleshly desires, but you use your freedom in Christ to live for the glory of God. Having the Holy Spirit is what makes the difference in our lives. He's the one who brings to reality and the, the Christian life and experience in your life and mine. A work, a work begins to happen in our lives and it starts with a work of love. And if we are growing in love, here's what inevitably starts to happen. If we're growing in love, the Holy Spirit is growing us in love, we're going to grow in service. A life of living and walking in the Spirit is a life of growing in love and service. Look at what Paul says there in verse 13. He says this, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But watch this, through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So notice, Paul's dealing with this issue here. Freedom, amen, hallelujah. We've been praising the Lord for that freedom that we have in the gospel. What do we do with that freedom? And we know what some of the Galatians have been doing. Some of the Galatians have been going to back and to living their sinful lifestyle in the world. They were going back and living like the culture around them. And, and Paul squashes that right away. And he says, yeah, but if you are truly saved, and, and if you have truly understood the grace that God has given you, the Holy Spirit won't let you live in that life very long. Life in the spirit isn't about abusing our freedom. It isn't about taking the grace of God for granted. But rather the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts and we start to grow in love. And that's what he's saying here, right? The chief work of the Holy Spirit 
is to produce love in the Christian heart. Love for God and love for people. Now, now listen, if I'm honest, I struggled with that concept early on in my Christian walk. Love. I mean, how is it that I am called to love my, you, my brothers and sisters in the Lord? I mean, I love my wife and, and, and I love my kids. I can get behind that. I, I can understand that. But how do I love you? Like, does that mean that I'm supposed to walk around here and have just like warm, fuzzy feelings towards all of you? That's kind of strange, right? But that's because our, what our culture has done with love is it's, it's framed love to be merely just an emotion. A powerful emotion, a feeling. It's because Hollywood and music and media have framed love as this uncontrollable, euphoric emotion that just takes hold of you and you can't control it and you do crazy things and drastic extremes and love has no boundaries. So is that how you and I are supposed to love each other? I hope not. I hope not. Let me tell you what the game changer for me was. Let me tell you what really made the difference for me in my understanding of the biblical definition of love. I found out that love most often, and when I say most often, I mean like 98% of the time, when love is used in the New Testament, it is used as a verb. That's a game changer. Why? What's, what's a verb? Action. Right? We got to go back to grade three English. Yeah, a verb is an action word. That's, that's, that changes everything for me because I, I realize that when the Bible was calling me to love, it wasn't calling me to an emotion. It was calling me to action. It was calling me to do something. And that's what we see here. This is why the chief work of the Holy Spirit is to produce a love within me towards you and towards God. Why? Because true love produces is a call to action. True love calls me to service. And that's what Paul is getting at here. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is producing a love, a love that results in serving one another. It's why he says, through love, serve one another. They go hand in hand. Growing in love towards each other, that doesn't mean I have warm, fuzzy butterflies about you. No, love is action. Love is demonstrated as we serve one another. That's, that's been helpful for me. I pray it's helpful for you. I, I love you by serving you. Like right, what I'm doing right now, sharing the word of God with you, this is an act of love towards you. I love you by, by helping you when you're in need. I, I love you by encouraging you. I love you by praying for you. I love you by sharing my gifts with you, my talents with you, my resources with you. John puts it this way, right? So clear in, in John's uh, uh, letter. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. Should be up on the screen. Here's what John says. He says, by this, we know love. 
that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Watch this. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. It's powerful, isn't it? What good does it do for you and I to see our brother or sister lacking the things they need in daily life, in food and clothing, in a place to stay? And we look at them and we say, oh, I love you. And, and God loves you too. That's not love. It's words. Love is doing something to ensure that they don't go without. Love is sacrificing the little you have so that both of you have something. The question, of course, is, well, how does this help me grow in righteousness and holiness then? Well, how does, how does this work? Well, well, look at what he says in verse 14. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. See, there were certain laws that governed the Old Testament and it governed how we were to treat one another, right? Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not covet. Don't do these things to your neighbor. So here's what you and I can do. Here's what you and I can do. We can make up a list of these rules and every time we bump into each other, we can say, okay, I don't steal from them. I don't hurt them. I don't cut. Okay, okay, now we can talk. Or... We can just grow in love for each other. And love is action. And so if I love you, I don't want to steal what belongs to you. If I love you, I don't covet what is yours. If I love you, I'm not going to be envious or jealous when good comes to you. I'm going to celebrate with you. If I love you, well, I'm surely not going to murder you. You, you see how this goes? This is helpful for me. I, I need practical. Like I, practical helps me. I, I hope that it's helping you too. Love is not just an emotion. I can love people in service by serving them, helping them, praying for them. I can love them by treating them the way that God has called me to treat them with dignity and respect. And the wonderful thing is I can still love them even when they get on my last nerve. See, the common misunderstanding of loving people means that we just got to all be best friends and get along. That's impossible. That we just have to be one big group of friends that agrees on everything, never disagrees. That's not love. There's such thing as healthy disagreements and unhealthy disagreements. There's things that come out of disagreements. Helpful dialogue. That's what Paul talks about. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you aren't consumed by one another. I may disagree with you. I may not like you very much. And, and guess what? You probably don't like me either. But I can still serve you. I can still love you. 
you may get on my nerves. I may get on your nerves. Our personalities may clash, but I can still love you and sacrifice for you. See, the question I think we have to ask before we move on is, I mean, where do we get the most practice in this? Where does this start? See, I think, I think it has to start at home. We often have this conversation as a family with our kids. Because brothers and sisters, you know, they, they argue. They have disagreements. And sometimes they can be mean to each other, can't they? We ask our kids, we say, well, how does, how does Christ command us to treat other people, to treat our, our neighbors with love and service and humility? And they know that. They're good kids. We have great kids. The Lord's blessed us. They know that. But sometimes I think we forget that it starts at home with how we treat each other as brother and sister. Sometimes I think we forget it starts with how we treat each other as husband and wife. As parents and children, right? So often these commands to love our neighbor are so easy when we go out to public with people we see once a week. But we forget that before my spouse is my spouse... They're my neighbor. Before my brother or sister, they're my neighbor. And sometimes it's easier to treat strangers or acquaintances the way we are commanded and yet be biting and devouring each other at home. Every day we have an opportunity to show the love and demonstrate the love of Christ, not just out in the world, but it starts before we even step foot outside. Living and walking in the spirit is growing in service and love towards each other. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in our life. But here's what else we see. Here's what living and walking in the spirit is. Living and walking in the spirit is a battle against the flesh. If you are living and walking in the spirit, you are living and walking in a battle against your flesh. Look, look at what he says in verse 16 there. He says, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, Paul taps into, he, he reveals this great struggle of the Christian life, this battle that you and I have over our flesh. And, and we see that battle uh, defined there in verse 17. I mean, we read these verses and we're like, that's my life. Right? Look at verse 17. It says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. <laughs> Every person who is a believer recognizes this struggle. We get it. I know what I want to do. I, I want to live for Christ. I, I want to do what is right. I want to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. I, I want to walk in obedience. I want to grow in holiness. I want to grow in righteousness. That's what I want. And yet we recognize the battle that we have oftentimes that what we want to do is not always what ends up happening. 
And that's because Paul is saying there's this battle that's going on inside each and every one of us. We, we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us and he is working out righteousness, but we're still walking in this fallen and sinful world and this fallen and sinful flesh. And as long as we are here in this world on this side of heaven, this is our battle. And Paul is so helpful, right? He gives us a, a list of examples. Like maybe you think this, this isn't you. So he, he gives us a list of examples, things that people struggle with in the flesh. Now this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list, but it is a, a start. And I think what we're going to find is that each of us fall into one of these categories here. So for instance, like some of us, some of us here, we struggle with sexual sin. We see that in verse 18 there. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now let's be clear about something here. Sexual intimacy is a good gift from a holy God. It is a good gift from a holy God when it is experienced the way that God intended it to be experienced within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And in that, in that relationship, sexual intimacy can be a beautiful thing. It is a blessing. But I think you know that mankind has a way of taking God's good creation and perverting it. And, and that's when it becomes a sinful act, when we fulfill that natural desire in an unnatural way. Sexual immorality, it's, it's a broad term, and it's meant to be a broad term. It, it comes from the Greek word porneia, which you can imagine we get the word pornography from. And it, it, it defines, it's used to define any sexual act outside of marriage. So that's adultery, that's fornication, that's homosexuality, that's incest, bestiality, prostitution, and, and you can imagine whatever else that's included in that category. There are other words here, impurity or sensuality, which have to do with an unnatural, unhealthy indulgence and appetite in this area. Some people, some people struggle significantly with sexual sin and temptation. But that's just one area. It's one area that gets a lot of focus, but it's just one area. Paul's list doesn't end there. He goes, idolatry and sorcery. This has everything to do with man-made idols and false religions. An idol is anything that we give the place of worship and devotion to in our life that only God deserves. What, what do we give the most of our time, our energy, our resources and attention? What do we sacrifice for, pay the most for, live for? That thing, no matter how good it is in itself, that has become an idol to you. There's sorcery. Sorcery includes things like psychics and tarot cards and astrology and horoscopes or things like new age spirituality that, that touches on these things like jewels and rocks and like maybe that's your bent. Like maybe you're stuck on this superstitious bent. I, I don't know. But you need to know that you can't serve God and be trusting in false idols at the same time. You can't be trusting in Jesus Christ as the only divine power while trying to tap into some other divine power. It doesn't work. 
Or maybe it has to do with more of a struggle in your personal relationships. We, we keep reading there in verse 20 and 21. He names things anger and bitterness and hatred, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And the danger with some of these struggles is, is, is that they are internal. Like some of them are obvious. Like if you got a, if you got a temper problem, I mean, that becomes clear really quick. But if you hold a grudge because someone looked at you the wrong way or said something in a way that you didn't like it, that's not as obvious. Some of you can make it obvious. But some of these, you can hold on to jealousy and envy and rivalries and it will eat you from the inside out and no one would ever know. So maybe it isn't sexual temptation, maybe it isn't idolatry, but maybe for you, your struggle is an internal struggle. You struggle with how do I deal with this anger and bitterness and hatred and envy that I have? He goes on, he talks about drunkenness and orgies. And I think like drunkenness is, is pretty self-explanatory. I don't need to exegete that. But, but orgies, orgies is probably not what you're thinking. Orgies here has everything to do with an overindulgence. It's an overindulgence in, in anything. You could put something like overeating under this category or an overindulgence in technology because none of us have that problem or video games or something like fitness and, and work. Basically, anything that has dominion over you, anything that has control over you that you can't help but indulge in it, that's what's covered under orgies. Now, here's the thing. That's tough, right? I mean, we look at that list. Here's the thing, though, that every person in this room got a little uncomfortable at some point in that list. There were parts where you could say, whew, <laughs> glad that's not me. But then there are other parts we say, oh, man, well, that's, that's me. I struggle with that. Every one of us has something that we struggle with, a sin that so easily entangles us. And the battle that we have to face for our lives is always against that sin. The question is, how do we as Christians begin to see victory over these things, the work of the flesh in our life? And, and some of your answers this morning will be, you just got to try harder. You know, willpower, baby. Good luck. How, how's that working out for you? Paul is saying that God has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to begin to see victory over sin in our life. Right, the spirit of God who lives in us. Like some of us, we don't understand the power. The power of the resurrected Lord lives in you. And he lives in you to give you victory over these things that we struggle with. But here's what we need to understand is, is that we aren't innocent bystanders in it. It's not as though we're, we're standing back and watching our flesh battle against the Holy Spirit. We got no role in it here. 
Rather, we are an active participant in this battle against the work of the flesh. And that's how, that's how Paul starts out this whole section. Read it again. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's, that's how we win the battle. Walk by the Spirit. That's our part. It means that each and every day, you and I are taking steps in the Spirit. And if every day you and I are taking steps to grow in the Spirit, we will begin to see more and more victory over the flesh. I love that word walk, again, because it's so practical. Notice it doesn't say run. Right? Notice it doesn't say sprint or, or jump. It's walk. Which tells us that our victory comes just like we walk. One step at a time. One foot in front of the other. See, each and every day, you and I have choices that we can make. Choices of what we are going to spend our time doing. What we are going to put our focus on. Who we are going to spend time with. Where we are going to spend that time. What we are going to read. What we're going to watch. What we're going to listen to. We have choices of how we are going to treat people, talk to people. Where we spend our money. Where we put our energy. These are all choices we make every day. And, and the reality is that every choice and every decision is either a step toward the will of God in the spirit or a step in the opposite direction. And if we're going to see increasing victory over the flesh in our lives, we're going to see that one step, one choice at a time. Life isn't lived in huge sweeping decisions but life is lived, directed by the little choices that we make every day. So, so maybe here's what this looks like for you. You sit down this week and you just do an inventory. Maybe, maybe you take a, a piece of paper and you make a chart, write a line down the middle, cross it at the top, put on one side, put spirit, the other side, put flesh, and just take an inventory of what you do every day and ask yourself, is what I'm doing sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh? And the spirit would look like, am I taking time to read God's word, spending some time in prayer? Am I sharing the gospel with a loved one? Encouraging a brother or sister? Am I serving in, in a ministry somewhere at the church? Am I participating in a small group somewhere at the church? Am I listening to uh, a sermon? Am I listening to worship music? Am I reading some kind of Christ-centered book? Those are all things that you and I, practical things that you and I can do to sow to the Spirit. And the flesh would be things like, how much time do you spend watching TV every week? Scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, binge watching series, YouTube, sports, video games. And, and listen, some of these things aren't bad things in themselves. There, there's something to say about balance. Enjoy life. But if they are consuming you, and if they are consuming your time, you are constantly sowing to the flesh, and then you wonder why you can't see victory. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. 
The more we sow to the Holy Spirit in our lives, the more we see victory because the more we sow to the Holy Spirit, here's what begins to happen. The more his fruit begins to grow in our lives. The more we sow to the Holy Spirit, the more his fruit begins to bear in our lives. It's why we cannot live in habitual sin. Because if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, he will bear fruit. It's, it's what he does. Living and walking in the Spirit is bearing fruit. We see that in verse 22. And everyone knows these verses, but it's so awesome to see them in context, isn't it? Verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, he will produce fruit. And, and what we are meant to see here is the contrast between these lists, right? You're supposed to see the contrast between the flesh and the work of the Spirit. And then you're supposed to notice how each of these fruits overpowers the work of the flesh. So we think of love, right? Love can conquer so many things. But, but let's, let's say if we have love then we don't settle for the cheap, empty intimacy of sexual immorality because we want true intimacy and the true love that it brings. And if we're growing in love and patience and kindness and gentleness, well, that will overpower issues like anger and bitterness and envy and jealousy. And if we have the joy that only comes from the Holy Spirit, we have a joy that isn't determined by the circumstances of life. We have a joy of the Lord that no idol, no sorcery could bring. We aren't searching for superficial happiness of the world that comes and goes, but a joy that is eternal in the eternal God. And the gift of faithfulness and self-control, it empowers us to overcome temptation when it comes, you have to see what Paul is saying here. And he's saying, against such thing, there is no law. What does that mean? He's saying, this is why you don't need the law. That's what he's going back to. He's saying, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you don't need the law because you have his fruit that is growing in your life to overcome the flesh. Here's a few things we should note about this fruit that Paul mentions. The first thing to notice is he says fruit and not fruits. It's singular, not plural. That matters. Because this isn't like the gift of the Spirit where you know I have this gift and that gift, but I don't really have that gift. No, if you have the Spirit, all of these things are growing in your life. It's one package. So you can't say that you're real strong in kindness, but you struggle with self-control. It just doesn't work like that. If you are in Christ and you have his Holy Spirit, all of this fruit is growing in your life. But here's what else we need to know is that fruit grows, doesn't it? That's important. Fruit doesn't sprout up instantly 
And, and so neither should we expect the fruit of the Spirit to sprout out instantly. So this isn't I believe in Jesus on one day and I have the full grown fruit in my life the next, but rather as we walk with Jesus day by day, the more we grow in this fruit with each step, with each day that I walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is growing in my life. The question is, well then how, how does fruit grow? Well, it grows organically, doesn't it? It grows naturally. That's also important. This fruit isn't something that you and I can conjure up in our own strength. This isn't something that I can force to grow or work at growing because that would go back to works. But our focus is on the relationship with Christ. Our focus is on sowing to the Spirit. And when we do that, when we seek after Christ, all this fruit will begin to grow naturally. One last thing to note. The question is, what is the Holy Spirit really trying to produce in our life with this fruit? Well, ask yourself, who is it that perfectly demonstrates this fruit? It's an old Sunday school answer. Jesus, right? Jesus. Because who's more loving than Jesus? And who had more joy? Who has more joy than Jesus? Who has more peace than the Prince of Peace? Was there anyone more patient, kind, good, faithful, or gentle than Jesus? Did anyone have any more self-control than Jesus? And so that's our focus. That's what the Holy Spirit is transforming us into. He's changing us into the image of Christ. He is making us more and more like Jesus. And when we know that, when we know that, it, it helps us partner in the effort. Our effort isn't to be more kind or gentle, but our prayer is... Make me like Jesus. And if that's the goal, if that's the aim, and we know how to partner in to get there. There's something that happens when you spend time with people, isn't there? I mean, any, you ever see a couple that's been married for, for years and years and years and they just think alike and talk alike? I mean, because the more you spend time with someone, the more you become like each other. Our life is not defined by the huge choices that we make. But rather, our life, our character is built upon the small everyday choices that we make. Every day, you and I have a choice to make. To whom am I going to invest my time in? To satisfying my flesh or growing in the spirit? And if we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How? One step, one choice, one decision, one thought, one act at a time. Life in the Spirit is a life of growing in service, a life of, of battling against the flesh, a life of bearing fruit a life that is lived one step at a time. Thanks for listening and making us a part of your walk. We encourage you to take today's teachings and apply it to your life. Challenge not only yourself, but those around you. Our support in your journey does not end here. To hear more messages from all our series or to speak to someone to help grow your faith, visit us at brandley.org.